electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. I'm producer Cameron Costa, and on today's episode, Boeing's latest issue with its best-selling jetliner, the 737 MAX, and our latest shipping issues in the Red Sea with oil expert Halima Croft. And it's not that the Red Sea is a red herring, but anything that brings more direct confrontation with Iran and the United States is what you have to watch. And iPhone unlocked. The Wall Street Journal's investigation of phone thefts and the bank account drains that follow, all starting with a passcode. Personal tech columnist Joanna Stern. That code, that four to six digit code you usually put in on the outside of your phone to unlock it when Face ID doesn't work, that code can unlock your entire digital and financial life. Plus a special interview from earlier this year. Andrew Ross Sorkin talks trading the basketball court for the boardroom with NBA all-star turned venture capitalist, Andre Iguodala. We spent our whole lives getting ready for the NBA. You have to have similar focus in order to be uh, a great tech investor. It's Friday, December 29th, the last working day of 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. First up, Today on the podcast, the latest on the global impact of the Red Sea slowdown. The U.S. military is reportedly trying to convince shippers to sail through the Red Sea, despite ongoing attacks by Iranian-backed Houthi rebels. Bloomberg reports that the Pentagon is speaking with companies on a near-daily basis to get a sense of their needs and to reassure them the international community is there to help with safe passage. Recent data shows roughly half of the container ship fleet that regularly travels the Red Sea and Suez Canal are avoiding the route now because of the threat of attacks. The situation in the Red Sea is something that's keeping the oil market on alert. Crude is on pace to finish the year 10% lower, which would be the first annual decline in two years. That's where we started on our Squawk Box TV broadcast this morning with Leslie Picker, Michael Santoli, and Brian Sullivan. Here's Brian. It's a lot going on. Joining us now for more on the big issues the energy markets will face in the new year is our friend Halima Croft, Global Head of Commodity Strategy at RBC, also a contributor and somebody that makes me smarter on a daily basis. Oh, thank you. I just read your stuff and pretend to know what I'm doing. <laughs> so thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right, niceties over. Um, All right. It feels like, and I learned this from Halima Croft and some others, that th- there are... Things are calm-ish from the energy, and I'm only saying it from the energy side of the story in the Middle East, but if, if Israel were to go into, say, Lebanon or take action against Hezbollah or things were to increase between the U.S. and uh, some of the Hezbollah agents working in northern Iraq or Syria, 
What's the risk factor? I, mean, I think there are three fronts to pay attention to in this Israel-Hamas war. I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of attention on what's been happening in the Red Sea, with ships being struck, with deployments of U.S. forces there. But the sort of issue that I think everyone needs to watch is what is happening on the northern border. You've had a number of senior Israeli officials, including someone like a Benny Gantz, out there saying if Hezbollah does not pull back from southern Lebanon, they will take military action and basically open up a second front. And this is something the United States has been working incredibly hard to prevent. Amos Hochstein has been making repeat. He's, he's done a great job, by the way. Great he gets job. No credit for the. He's the one that's actually on the plane doing all the, work. the time. He was the one who negotiated the Israel-Lebanon maritime boundary. He's been essentially doing triple duty, basically yeah. having to deal with the energy markets and trying to prevent another front in this war. And so we're watching very closely what happens because Hezbollah is showing no indications they're going to pull out of southern Lebanon. So I think if there's one story to pay attention to as we head into the new year, I would pay very close yeah. attention to Lebanon. I don't want to say the Red Sea is a red herring because it does matter. And yesterday, uh, U.S. ships, the USS Laboon and others are firing missiles. They're right. bringing down Houthi missiles. Thank goodness they're protecting the ships. God bless the troops. But I also know two people in New Jersey, Halima, that are reser army reservists who've just been called up to Iraq and Syria. They're in their mid-40s. They have kids. They're like, what, we're going to Syria? And, you know, these, these, these are reservists. They're doing their tour duty. They're going to go. But when, I'm wondering what's going on there, that there's enough action. When I, I hear Iraq is 4 we million barrels a day. People thought we were done with Iraq wars. And now we have a situation where we've had multiple attacks on U.S. servicemen in Iraq on bases. Now, we have not had yet any casualties in terms of people have been injured, but no American servicemen have been killed. But that is something that we'd be watching very closely. Remember President Trump, that was his red line. Any American killed, Qasem Soleimani was hit. And so we have to pay very close attention to what is happening. The U.S. has responded by attacking Iranian-backed militants in both Iraq and Syria. And again, if you want to look at sort of the escalation threat, that's another place to watch. Again, it's not that the Red Sea is a red herring, mm -hmm. But anything that brings more direct confrontation with Iran and the United States is what you have to watch. What can we say about the markets um, looking through or attempts to look through these geopolitical issues? Not just right now, but even if you look back at, you know, the net impact after Ukraine and then, of course, the attacks by Hamas uh, in October. I think it's because of what happened with Russia. Remember when the war started, we had that massive run up in oil prices, expectation we'd see significant Russian reductions because we were sanctioning Russia. We sanctioned the Russian central bank. We took banks and disconnected them from SWIFT, but we made sure to keep Russian oil on the market. And so it was a disruption that didn't happen. And so many market participants are like, I'm not gonna get burned banking on a geopolitically driven supply disruption. So I'll believe it when I see it. But again, I would say that if you look at this situation in the Middle East, I think it is far too soon to write off the risks there. We also have a very well-supplied market, though. U.S. production has had a fantastic year. Brazilian production has grown. Guyana, though, pay attention to Venezuela, Guyana. So I think a lot of people are like, the market's well-supplied. I don't have to worry about this. Do you think that when you look at the 10% decline, and since this is the last show before the year, it's a time of reflection, do you think it is more of a story about the efficiency of the producers? You mentioned, of course, here in the U.S., South America. 
Or is it a demand story as we look at China and the slowdown there, the inability to rebound from, you know, their experience with COVID lockdowns and so forth? I think in the case of China, it's not that we didn't see Chinese demand growth, but it didn't meet expectations. Remember, start of the year, the big tailwind for oil was going to be the China reopening. We were going to have blockbuster demand and we didn't hit the expectation number. So I think that has been weighing on prices. I think high rates have been weighing on prices. And then we got surprised by the U.S. Remember when CEOs would say, we're never going to see 13 million again? And look where we are. And those same CEOs are like, wow, maybe we'll see 15. And so that, I think, has caught market participants a bit by surprise. And Brazil, like you mentioned. The on America's. the way to maybe 4 million barrels a day, just joining OPEC+. Plus. Right. But going to what you just talked about, Guyana. Now, the, Guyana's not huge now, but Chevron buys Hess really right. for the Guyana assets. Do you think there really is a chance that Venezuela could, could I mean, they, they basically, the people voted, hey, that part of Guyana, which, by the way, is like 85% right. of Guyana's landmass. Right. It basically is everything but the oil assets offshore. But you, if you can't get the boats to the platforms, how big of a risk is that? Or is this just Venezuela doing Venezuela Save things? Rattling. Yeah, I mean, Maduro. So I think market participants, given the acreage, given you know the involvement of these companies, are concerned. But when you talk to administration officials in Washington, they will say, look, we have basically pulled back sanctions on Venezuela. We are giving Venezuela an economic lifeline. If Venezuela were to do this, they would face enormous economic consequences. And the U.S. is very committed to protecting the sovereignty of Guyana. So again, yep. not that we should be complacent, but at least in Washington, they seem to be comfortable that this is not going to escalate. Halima, always a pleasure. Made us smarter. Thank you. Happy New Thanks Thank for getting up for early, schlepping me. in, and Happy New Year. Of course. This is a great show. Thank you. To you and the little Vikings. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> Boeing is urging airlines to inspect 737 MAX planes to look for a, quote, possible loose bolt in the rudder control system. It's the latest quality issue to affect the manufacturer's best-selling jetliner. The operator discovered a bolt with a missing nut while performing routine maintenance on a mechanism in the rudder control linkage. The company discovered an additional undelivered aircraft with a nut that was not properly tightened. Boeing says the inspections will take about two hours per plane and all new 737 MAXs will undergo the check before they're handed over to customers. You know, I guess it's just a matter of tightening those bolts a little. More? I don't know about you. I, when I fly, I like my bolts tight. I do. I want, I want my wings. I want the wings. I remember I was in Japan one time. This is a humble brag. And we were delayed for five hours. And all they kept saying was it was a wing problem, a wing problem. And I was like, well, we need those. Yeah, Turns yeah. out it was a missing light, a burned out light bulb on the end of one wing. But I just thought, I like my planes with wings. That happened to me know. on my honeymoon, actually. We were waiting to take off. We were flying to Johannesburg. So it was a 17 hour That's flight. a long flight. In Atlanta. And everybody had boarded the plane, and a luggage cart crashed into the wing of the airplane. They got to check it out. So we all had to get off. Wound up spending the first night of my honeymoon in the Comfort Inn in Atlanta. So very romantic. But, was, it, was it comfortable? But it's better than not having wings on an airplane. So That's you know, it? It's all relative, I guess. Poor Santoli knows he's got a long morning. He's Look at him. He's just like, no, I just, how did I, I have? I have no dramatic yeah, aircraft malfunction stories. Well, that's, that's actually a good thing. Let's keep it that way. Yeah, because those... Some of those can be binary. 
Yeah, well, you... This next story, Alphabet's Google has agreed to settle a lawsuit focused on accusations it secretly tracked the internet usage of millions of people who thought they were browsing privately. It's unclear how much Google will pay in damages, but plaintiffs had been seeking at least $5 billion from Google. Now, this lawsuit was originally filed about three years ago and sought at least $5,000 in damages per user for you for violating federal wiretapping and California privacy laws. Parent company Alphabet, of course, one of the big tech seven up 60% so far this year. So if you're part of that suit, Mike, maybe we'll all be getting a check. $5,000. I'll tell you, you get these things in the email, join this class action, and you're like, what? Ignore it. Yeah. I started paying attention. And then, you, like, just randomly, you get, like, a $38 check really? in the mail. It feels like Jane Wells' residual paycheck from when she was on <laughs> Seinfeld, you know. Sure. Your residual privacy. $5,000 a person, potentially. Minus lawyers. Yet the document that lawyers. you were in incognito mode, and yet they knew what you were doing? Is that the idea? Who knows? I right? think, I, I just, I think Google probably knows what we're doing before we know. Well, that's true. So you just They know where we're going, where we've been, where we're thinking about going. Oh, yeah. 100%. Well. I don't know where I'm going either, but at least Google does. Coming up on Squawk Pod, the Wall Street Journal investigated how thieves were stealing iPhones and then thousands of dollars from their victims. Tech columnist Joanna Stern explains her reporting. And as we looked into this, we realized that these thieves are not only stealing the iPhones, they're also stealing passcodes. First, your passcode, then your Apple ID, then your bank accounts, then your crypto wallet, and so much more. News you could really use up next. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. It's time for some news we could all probably use. It's a story about keeping your entire financial life safe especially if you're not so picky about your passwords. Here's Leslie Picker and Brian Sullivan. During 2023, journalists at the Wall Street Journal reported on thieves across the country using iPhone passcodes to steal thousands of dollars from their victims. The year-long investigation culminated in an interview with one convicted thief in a high-security prison. Here to talk about her reporting on the loopholes of Apple security and what you can do to protect your own assets, Joanna Stern, senior personal tech columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Joanna, thank you for being here, and congratulations on a fantastic series, uh, the investigative series here. So 
In your latest piece, you interviewed Andrew or Aaron Johnson from the Minnesota Correctional Facility who was serving a 94-month sentence after pleading guilty to racketeering for breaking into and stealing iPhones and the money there. And were you surprised how easy it was for him to do this? I wasn't because I had been following this story for the year. And as you said, this was sort of the culmination of that reporting. But I was very surprised when I first found out about this about a year ago. And I found out about this because I had heard from victims who said, I was out at a bar late at night. And this is a very common story amongst these victims. Out at a bar late at night, somebody approached me. Next thing I know, my phone is stolen. And the next thing I know after that, over the next 24 hours, thousands of dollars are taken from my bank account and I'm locked out of my Apple account. And I have no idea how this happened. And as we looked into this, we realized that these thieves are not only stealing the iPhones, they're also stealing passcodes. They're somehow figuring out or asking even in some cases, these victims passcodes. And that code, that four to six digit code you usually put in on the outside of your phone to unlock it when Face ID doesn't work, that code can unlock your entire digital and financial life. Yeah, it's amazing just how simple it sounds with just four numbers or six numbers, depending on what you have. Apple recently announced a stolen device protection program. Does it remedy the loopholes that you've been investigating? Do you think it, it does enough to protect consumers? It certainly remedies a lot of the loopholes, right? The biggest thing that is happening, and as I heard from uh, Mr. Johnson when I interviewed him in prison, is that he is quickly stealing those passcodes, stealing that phone, and changing credentials in the settings of iOS, just taking the phone, getting into the settings menu, and locking people out of their Apple accounts. And what that enables them to do, as he said, is he beats the mice to the cheese. He's quickly getting them out of their Apple accounts before they can get back to their computers and use Find My iPhone to see where their phone is and lock it down. So with this new stolen device protection, the idea is that a thief couldn't do that very quickly. They would need your biometrics, so it doesn't let you use passcodes and a passcode anymore to do some of that. You would need face, you would need fingerprint rec recognition to do that. On top of that, it would, in, in some cases, ask for an hour delay. So the thief didn't have your, or got your face and, okay, maybe they're holding you hostage or whatever's happening, then it would need to wait, they would need to wait an hour to get into that Apple account. Mm. It seems like, and it's interesting because Aaron Johnson, uh, who you recently interviewed, kind of started out doing more traditional pickpocketing, but in today's day and age, it really feels like the phone has more value to it than even a traditional wallet. Absolutely, and I've, I've heard some, and we've compared this to the idea of somebody just sort of looking over your shoulder at an ATM, and you know, we, we used to hear about those crimes far more often you know, 10 years ago, uh, even earlier than that. This is the modern day equivalent. Our banks and our entire lives are on these devices in our pockets, and I think that's my biggest learning from this reporting. Sure, there was some vulnerabilities in the Apple's operating system that was allowing them to happen. And I should also mention there are similar ones in Android, but these thieves are really going after the iPhones because of the higher resale value of the phone. First, they take all the money out of the accounts, they try to drain the money, and then they wipe the phones and sell the phones. And those iPhones are typically worth more than Android phones. But my, again, back to back to my biggest learning here, our entire lives are on these devices and we need to protect them in a way that we would really protect our accounts and, and not think about, oh, it's just the phone. And if the phone got stolen, everything would be OK. I could get back home and wipe it and, and have my security in the cloud. Yeah. Hey, Joanna, it's Brian. And I would imagine just basic things. Number one, use different passwords for key applications, correct? If you 
If you have the same password for everything, particularly your iCloud password, because once you've got the iCloud password, then you can wipe the phone. You can turn off Find My iPhone. That, that would be, to me, I would think, the one password you better make unbreakable. Yes, and you're hitting on the exact key to this crime. So they were using that passcode to change the Apple ID password. And that was the vulnerability we really were talking about here, because with just that passcode, you could change the Apple ID password. Apple didn't ask for a previous type of password. And so that password in that account, you're totally right, Brian. Many people, could be some of us, store our passwords with Apple's keychain, iCloud keychain. And so if you're able to get into that Apple account and you're able to change the password to that Apple account, well, it's a free-for-all, right? You, you've got access to all those bank accounts, all those types of Venmo, whatever you've kept in there, uh, email, et cetera. And so you've got control of all of that. So one of the things we have suggested throughout the year is using a third-party password manager and absolutely using strong passwords in those accounts. Yeah, because the other side of that is just forgetting all the different passwords that uh, you're using for all the different things, speaking from experience here. Uh, but thank you, Joanna. Really important reporting, and we appreciate you coming on to talk about it. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Next on Squawk Pod, NBA star Andre Iguodala, or Iggy, swapping the courts for the C-suites. He's going full-time investing, and his baller dreams are focused on bigger arenas. Athletes um, and the way media rights have gone, you know, they've been able to accumulate this wealth to where they can participate in some of these uh, transactions with ownership in NBA teams. Michael Jordan's been able to do it. Uh, Magic Johnson, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, the greats have been able to do it. And I'm very, very sure that LeBron James has his eye on it. Um, But, you know, timing is everything. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. You're listening to Squawk Pod on CNBC. All week, we've been bringing you some of our favorite interviews of 2023, and this next one definitely qualifies. In October, Andrew Ross Sorkin and Becky Quick spoke to Andre Iguodala, the NBA All-Star and four-time championship winner, who has, after 19 seasons on the court, stepped away from basketball officially and started investing full-time. Iguodala, or as his fans call him, Iggy, has started a $200 million early and seed stage venture fund called Mosaic. And he told Andrew and Becky all about it. Iggy, four-time NBA champion, the Golden State Warriors, NBA All-Star, Olympic gold medalist. Uh, What haven't you done, Andre? It's great to see you this morning. Congratulations on a, a pretty remarkable career. Thank you. Really appreciate you having me on this AM. Uh, it ain't over, though, because uh, you are taking uh, what you've been doing uh, off the court, the side hustle of sorts that's been going on nearly for almost a decade in your career while you were on the court and, and now moving into the venture capital world full time. 
Uh, what, what is that about? What is that like? And just tell us a little bit about your thinking about retiring to begin with. Yeah, well, I started, you know, investing 10 years ago. Uh, it's been an amazing, amazing learning experience uh, for many uh, times, uh, shadowing founders, shadowing VCs, uh, their firms, you know, taking internships. But uh, schedule started to get a little bit too busy. So decided to step away from the court. Uh, the court was actually taking time away from investing. So uh, going full time investing and, uh, you know, basketball has helped me being in the business of sports and being media companies has enabled me to understand both sides. But it was time for me to take a step away from the court to fully invest. So you have a partner, Rudy Klein Thomas, and you have a fund now, $200 million, if not more, uh, with him called Mosaic. What, what are you going to be looking for and what are you going to be trying to do? Well, we're focused on uh, enterprise, fintech, healthcare, and sports companies. And, you know, over the last 10 years of investing in the space um, and having some of the best mentors, uh, it's enabled me to learn from them and position myself for the opportunity uh, that's, that's come about with this fund. Uh, what we want to focus on is not just backing the best early stage companies, but also being obsessed with changing the way representation of minorities um, in the industries that we're investing in. So we have many plans to uh, kind of tackle on that initiative. How important was it for you to be a part of the Warriors? And I ask that in the context of you now being a venture capitalist, given the community uh, that exists around uh, Palo Alto and San Francisco that you were a part of. Well, this is where it's all happening, you know, disruption. Uh, it has started here. You know, some of the best bad companies, um, all different sectors, uh, software, uh, the, the SaaS world, been able to learn from uh, some of the best minds. You know, uh, Eric Wan at Zoom, uh, Jennifer Dahada at PagerDuty, uh, so many different folks that I've been able to interact with. You know, Oracle Arena, uh, you know, some of the best, brightest minds being in every single game. And, you know, and that's how you got into this, right? Because you, you met a whole bunch of these folks who were in that community at the time, right? For sure. You know, uh, on the court, at the games, you know, court side or off the court, you know, being able to interact, like I said before, having an opportunity to, um, you know, shadow some of these founders and see what they're looking for in the market, you know, to go to market strategies and, you know, being a real uh, steward, a uh, student of the businesses and now having an opportunity to take that and, you know, have had the Player Technology Summit introducing other athletes to the space and trying to be uh, at the head of this investing in the tech world for, for not just, uh, you know, athletes, but the best uh, up and coming founders and CEOs. So, Andre, the question is, is your experience replicatable? Meaning there's part of me that thinks you're you're a very special unicorn in this in this ecosystem. But I know there's a lot of players who are constantly asking for advice, saying, how, how can I get a $200 million fund myself? Well, it's kind of like golf. You have to be obsessed with it. You know, it's a lot of work that goes into it. You know, we spent our whole lives getting ready for the NBA. You have to have a similar focus in order to be uh, a great tech investor. You know, uh, as they say, you only need one company to hit. But for me, it's bigger than just investing. As I said before, you know, we want to change the way uh, the ecosystem works, uh, how the representation um, and the participation of minorities um, haven't been able to exist at the same levels as everyone else. So just getting my foot in the door, 
but not only want to open the door, but, you know, wedge it open to bring others like myself who haven't been, had the opportunities, you know, to know what's going on as early as everyone else. Andre, uh, what, what's maybe the most interesting thing you've seen, uh, something that's surprised you, something you learned and you thought, okay, this is a company that's doing something really amazing. You got anything you've got your sights on right now? Well, we got a couple companies, you know, uh, we've already been investing. Uh, we got a company, company like Vessel, who we think is going to be a real disruptor in the real estate uh, industry. We've also got a company named Jump I'm really excited about. Um, it's going to change the way we interact you know, with live events. Uh, with ticketing um, and coming from the sports world, I'm really excited about that one. Uh, A1 is a, a NFL agency as of right, right now. We think of, think of it as agency 2.0 um, and, and how we think about athletes. And we got really big plans for there. Uh, not sharing too much on that one, but A1's what about, one. What about jump? I mean, that sounds really interesting, especially when you consider some of the pressures that have come on, on Ticketmasters and some of the others at this point. What would you do differently? Well, we just see how fans are interacting with uh, their teams uh, in the stadiums a little bit differently from all the data that's going on. You know, uh, you hear about the big plans going on in L.A. Uh, with the Clippers and Steve Ballmer and how they have the most restrooms that we've seen. You know, small things to make that experience a little bit different. Um, you know, as the game goes on further and further, you know, what's available within the arena? How can you get a better experience or change your experience or last-minute change? You know, you may not be able to make it to the game, but you can still uh, be able to use that ticket or, or, or profit from it um, at some point with someone else who may be at the game who want who want to change seats. So um, we look at Jump as something that's uh, really going to disrupt that business and, and how it is a B2B um, platform for teams running uh Talk, hey, Andre, talking about teams, and, and you now own a, own a bunch, but I know your, your dream, I think, is maybe to be one of the owners of an NBA team. Do you have your eye on one? I know LeBron would like to own uh, Vegas if it comes up. Yeah, yeah everyone's having that conversation, and uh, what better way than to um, finally be in a space where, you know, athletes um, and the way media rights have gone, you know, they've been able to accumulate this wealth to where they can participate in some of these uh, transactions with ownership in NBA teams. You know, we would have a lot of these conversations within our communities on the sports and music side. Um, but, you know, Michael Jordan has been able to do it. Uh, Magic Johnson, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, the greats have been able to do it. And I'm very, very sure that LeBron James has his eye on it. Um, but, you know, timing is everything. Uh, obviously, uh, with the new CBA that just came out, a lot of the players seen the opportunities and we want to take full advantage of it. Andre, I uh, want to thank you for uh, being on the broadcast. want to congratulate you again on a remarkable uh, career on the court, and we know you're going to have a, a remarkable one off the court. We hope you'll uh, come on in and keep us updated with all your progress, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. Look forward to checking back in with you. That's Squawk Pod for today and for 2023. We can't thank you enough for being part of our year. Stick with us in 2024 and tell a friend to listen to tell your family while you're with them this season. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in on TV, listen to the podcast, follow us on X at Squawk CNBC, and of course, have a happy new year. We'll meet you back here next week.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.